The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode, we're at Home Sweet Home Pier Point Hall, a medieval manor house situated in a secluded 30-acre estate in the beautiful surroundings of Nottinghamshire. Home to the Pierpoint family since 1280, it's now a popular wedding venue and was once used as a training base for young soldiers in the Second World War. But these young men aren't the subject of today's episode. We're here to learn about Home Pierpoint Hall's most famous and formidable women. Guiding us through bravery, rebellion and nudity is this man. I'm Robert Brackenbury and I'm from Home Pierpoint Hall. After we got to know each other, I don't know if you do you read Nuts Magazine? I'm not a great reader of Nuts Magazine. No, we talked about the house itself, which gave me the opportunity to regurgitate a phrase I'd read on Wikipedia in the hopes of sounding educated. I'll let you be the judge on how it went down. It's a Tudor manor house. Yep. A castellated facade? Well, yeah, the whole, the whole area is castellated. It was built by Sir William Pierpont, who married one of Henry VII's tax collector's daughters. Ooh. Can you see where I'm leading on this one? Because one of Henry VII's tax collectors didn't necessarily give all he collected back to the king. I see. He kept quite a lot for himself. So that was quite a shrewd marriage. So he was <laughs> um, did quite well in that one. And that's that was who built the house. So he was able to put quite a lot of work into it. Is that a family trait that's been passed down the generations? Are you, are you, are you all quite conniving? Is that, no, no, is no, that, no, is no that definitely not. I, I pay my taxes on time. <laughs> and let's have that known on the podcast. Any listeners in, taxes are paid on time here. They are. A hundred percent. Yep. And you also mentioned about the 30 acres. Well, there used to be a huge estate here. The estate encompassed quite a lot of uh, Nottingham and West Bridgeford, when it was sold in 1941, there was about 12,000 acres. A lot had been sold before that. So the only thing that didn't sell in 1941 was the house with the grounds around it. So actually, the house sits quite comfortably in a landscape of 30 acres. So yeah. at least, you know, if there's building all around you, you'll have that 30 acre sort of Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think anyone would no, yeah, worry no, but about having great. enough space. There's definitely, there's definitely, it's definitely roomy. I mean, it is big, but when you go for a walk round, the nice thing about it, what people say is that it feels quite homely and... It does feel homely. You're, you're in, you're in rooms that are not too big and mm. feel comfortable. And that's what a lot of the feedback I've got is that we're not trying to be too grand and, no, right. and we're not in our own way i mean i like to think i'm quite approachable and i get on with everybody and we work all as a team here i really want to know some of the scandals of all the weddings that have happened here because bridezillas are a thing i've been to a few weddings myself where there's been some proper kickoffs well <laughs> I think we've been all right here, really. But we have had some interesting guests. I mean, I remember there was one time when Barbara Windsor turned up. Oh, wow. And I thought, 
well, that's somebody I know. Yeah. And um, she, she just turned up. What well, was she? well, no, what no, was she, she, she was a, a guest was, at a wedding. I'm lost, babes. <laughs> Where am I going? I don't know what to do. I don't know, she came to a wedding. Where's my pub? And, um, and, <laughs> she came to a wedding. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then there were other actors and they all seemed to be in the bill. Have you noticed oh, this? There was this, there was this time when you go to the theatre and, and you discovered they'd done a few episodes of The Bill. Yes, it was always uh, Othello played by this man who was in Casualty and The Bill. Yeah, 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 yeah it was yeah, absolutely yeah. that. So, that. So, so, and the same wedding, we were all recognising these, these similar actors. It was a... Um, I bet the speeches were good. If everyone was an actor, there should have been some absolutely cracking speeches. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> There is a trait of formidable women in your family, there going seems, back through the history. There seems to be, yeah. Let's go to the earliest ones, the ones who can't hunt us down and and scold us for talking bad about them. <laughs> and then yeah. we'll get to the more risky ones later. But yeah, the, let's go right back to the beginning. Well, I, I think the fact that um, uh, Sir William Pierpont married one of Henry VII's tax collector's daughters was was a pretty good one. But mm -hmm. if we go a bit further forward, we've got the first Duke of Kingston who had a daughter called um, Lady Mary Pierpont and she was a great writer and traveller. And um, she married somebody called Edward Wortley Montague and I suppose she was one of the first feminists, really. And she married him and... It wasn't approved of necessarily by her family. And she thought, well, I don't care. Yeah, what, what do they disapprove of? Well, the fact that she decided that she was going to marry somebody who she wanted to marry. Oh, and that she had a choice. That, yeah. Because <laughs> back in the day, women just get told what to do. But Mary was very, absolutely, no, I'm choosing. I'm choosing. And then she married Edward Wortley Montague and they ended up in um, Istanbul because he was ambassador in Constantinople, now in Istanbul. So when Lady Mary Pierpont was in Turkey, she um, discovered the smallpox inoculation because the people in that part of the world were inoculating their children against smallpox. And she realised what it was doing in this country and the effect it had on the population and that if you got it, you either lived after five days or you died. So it was pretty drastic. And so she was instrumental in bringing back an inoculation. And you've got to remember an inoculation is different to a vaccination. You're putting a, the, the smallpox in under the skin and you're trying to start an immunity. And she was instrumental in starting that and then there were people like Edward Jenner who came along and they completed the journey, but they needed Lady Mary to start the journey. And the point is, is that Edward Jenner got all the credit because he completed the journey and Lady Mary slightly got forgotten about. So just so I'm understanding this correctly, Lady Mary decided she would scrape some of the smallpox pus and then stick it in her own child. Which sounds outrageous, but it worked, or at least set up the start of what we now call the vaccine. Exactly. 
next up, we've got a woman I'm quite excited to talk about, and this is Elizabeth Chudley. Now, could you just give us the rundown of this woman? Well, she was quite a woman. You said that with a smile on your face. Well, that was a real knowing grin. <laughs> a lot of people don't know about her, and a lot has been written about her, and recently a book was published about her called uh, Duchess Countess, because it is a very good story. Her father was involved at the Royal Hospital at Chelsea for a while, so that's where she lived, and then he died. She was quite a party girl, and she was known in the social scene, and she would get to meet lots of different people, and she was very good at networking and communicating. And she got to know somebody uh, eventually called Augustus Harvey, who was the son of Lord Bristol, the Earl of Bristol, and they got together and they got married. And they married sort of in secret, and there were very few witnesses to the marriage. Mm -hmm. But actually, I want to start earlier than that because she would go to these balls and there was one famous ball that she went to and behind you there is a print of her oh this topless woman of this topless woman in a a see-through dress so i'm currently holding a picture of a semi-naked mrs chudley it says here dated 1749 the third of october so, you know, approaching winter, this doesn't look like traditional winter garb for a ball. What's the dress she's half wearing? Is it that, that, that would have been a ball gown. Yeah. Yeah. And a nice sort of headscarf up here and flowers in her hair. What ball is she attending? So she was attending the masquerade ball for the Jubilee celebrations of George II. It was a big deal, a big ball and... The fact that they did prints just shows what yeah. a big deal it was. She was she was trying to make a, a point. What was the point she was trying to make? I think she was trying to be noticed. Well, I think she did that. She's very much like the Jordan of her day. Did she arrive at the ball like this or did she sort of undress when she was at the ball? Or was this just, no, she's getting out the carriage. And, I'm, and, I'm and slightly guessing here, but I th- suspect that she probably had something over her oh, and, yeah. and then and then arrived in the ball looking like that. I, I think she was quite a controversial figure and I think um, she was just sort of making a name for herself and I think it's quite extraordinary. There must have been a bunch of guys who were like, well, this won't do, we can't have this. She'll be banned from the rest of the balls. There must have been, but she seemed to get herself out there and and she continued on because she was involved with the royal family. She was, I suppose it were, a lady-in-waiting and she was very much keeping herself in the public eye and that was, I suppose, part of her character. And the fact that she married somebody and then instantly regretted it, which was Augustus Harvey, they got married with very few people knowing about it, in the dark, it seems, in a church, and they got a vicar together. And then as soon as they got married, they instantly regretted it. And she then got on with her life. He got on with his life. He went off to sea. She carried on doing what she did. And then a a few years later, she then meets up with the Duke of Kingston, and everybody believes that they were in love, And she decides 
or they both decide that they're going to get married and she conveniently forgets that she married Augustus Harvey and she conveniently forgets that she never got divorced. And so I think there were a few whispers going around that yeah. something was going on. But anyway, they lived at Thorsby, which is in North Nottinghamshire. And incidentally, she came to home Pierpont once and she swore she'd never come back because of the churchyard next door she thought of her own mortality so she didn't really like home pierpont because of the churchyard she seems like a woman who was more a live in the moment sort of woman rather than think of the consequences yeah 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 yeah. i I think i think we're getting that 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 getting that feel um and anyway she lived at thorsby and they were happily married and they didn't have any children but the Duke of Kingston, who was quite a fancy man, he was very good looking. Incidentally, he he was the one who introduced the cricket to Nottinghamshire, so we've got a lot to thank him for. Very much so. So Trembridge down the road wouldn't be there in the same way if it wasn't for him. So he was he was very good looking, and they were all in love. And then suddenly he dies, and he leaves his entire estate to Elizabeth. The nephews, as you can imagine, were thinking. Hello, what's going on here? I think we might not get a look in. Yeah. So they decided to ferry it about because they'd heard about the marriage with Augustus Harvey. And she was tried for bigamy in Westminster Hall because her nephew, uh, Charles Meadows, did all the the digging. And um, she was tried for bigamy in the great Westminster Hall where the Queen lay in state and the Queen Mother and... Charles I trial took place, so all all that history. It's an amazing place. What sort of outfit did she turn up to for the hearing? Well, actually, she, <laughs> she was quite modest. Was she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For once in look, her life. I think there's a print of her I've seen with her all in black, wearing oh. a black dress, and she was looking very um, demure, as it were. And um, not just one nipple slur showing, just for for old none, time's sake. None, none just of so that. So people know it's definitely her. None, none of that. And um, seats were exchanging tickets at vast prices. I bet they were. I think people were going for a... Uh, well, anyway, the Duchess... The topless woman's going to court. Do you want to go and see this? Yeah, I think I probably will. Well, and they were all a bit disappointed yeah, by bet. all the legal formalities of yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, it wasn't quite what... Uh, it wasn't quite what they were expecting. <laughs> and uh, the Duchess of Devonshire brought her, brought her picnic lunch with her so that she could stay there and, and keep an eye on what was oh, going what, on. It was like pims and sandwiches just in a pew by the side. That's amazing. Yeah, so, so she was, so they were all there. It was, it was a sellout. And at that same time, we were fighting America because the, uh, everybody was trying to keep hold of America oh, as a, as a, a colony. Jamestown uh, and all the colonies. And the colonies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But it took America off the front pages. It was th- that big a celebrity trial, as it were, at, at that time. Oh, wow. And um, it was really the talk of the town. And we forget that now. And she was found guilty. And because she was a peeress, she escaped prison and she escaped to Russia and she was so annoyed with her family, with, well, with her husband's family, that she took all the best stuff with her to Russia. And um, she became a friend of Catherine the Great and Potemkin. And it was always thought that the peacock clock in the, the hermitage in Russia belonged to the Duchess of Kingston. But now we think Potemkin was the one that commissioned it. But with the help of the Duchess of Kingston, who had all the contacts of the right silversmiths. So... And now the problem is none of us can go to Russia to uh, oh, yeah. to see it. Give us an idea of the type of people who would have been at this ball. 
Would the king have been in attendance? I think the king would have been in attendance and it would have been all the great and the good of of society and all, all the, the titled people of that day, all, all the, um, the aristoc- aristocracy and all that sort of thing. So they were the movers and shakers at that time. So they would have, th- that's why it got out there. Yeah. I mean, I went to meet my mum and dad at the Army and Navy Club the other week and I couldn't get in without a tie on. I find it extraordinary that somebody got away with it. Uh, yeah, um, that's it. It's ridiculous. Um, it just just seems maybe bonkers, it's, really. Maybe it's just so outrageous that people went, she's probably got permission for that. But I have this theory that if you walk in anywhere with enough confidence, people just go, oh, they probably know what they're doing. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Carrying on the theme of formidable women in your family, we're going to talk about Georgina Brackenbury. Now, she was part of the Brackenbury trio and was jailed many times as part of the suffragette movement. And the suffragettes are an incredible bunch of women. This is a really, really high-stakes time for ladies. They did some outrageous things, and Georgina was right at the heart of it. So can you just talk us through her journey, starting with her going down to London and how she got involved? Well, she was in London, and she went to the Slade School of Art and she became a very good artist and she specialised in portraiture and she then got involved with painting all sorts of different people and she met Emmeline Pankhurst and she painted her picture and her picture ended up in the National Portrait Gallery and at that time she got involved with the suffragette movement And then they went off, as it were, and joined the suffragettes where they were trying to get the women the vote. And it was then that she became very much involved and she was what I would, I suppose we would refer to in this day and age as hardcore because she would be blowing up post boxes. And if you remember at the time, there was the King's Horse, I think it was at the Derby where somebody went under the horse and was killed because they were a suffragette. So they really were going for it. And they really were trying to get across that women had to have the vote. Yeah. Um, Emmeline Pankhurst, another formidable woman. So these two women meeting each other, they must have just gotten on immediately. This is two fiery characters, right? I, I get the impression that from what I can gather that she was quite a fiery character. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, God, my family is absolutely full of them, isn't it? Isn't I don't it? know how you survived this long. You're looking remarkably well. Can we just paint a picture of the idea, the sort of stuff they did? So blowing up letterboxes, ringing bells, chucking themselves in front of horses. Well, they were throwing bricks through windows of buildings. I think they were attacking the police who were, 
you know, turning on them. And they were doing all sorts of things to, to, to make their protest known and to make the headlines. And they weren't necessarily getting a lot of sympathy from a lot of other women because there were women out there who were not necessarily agreeing with them, which I find extraordinary. And there were men who were not agreeing with them at all because they thought, how dare they do this sort of thing? Well, I can sort of see how there'd be a lot of men who would be like, well, we can't have this. We need to be keeping control. But yeah, it is quite shocking to think that other women wouldn't. But I mean, maybe those women are scared. They're in their own situation. And, and you don't know who their, their husbands were. I mean, I think yeah. it was Asquith at the time was prime minister and his wife was not necessarily a follower, but she was the wife of the prime minister. Mm -hmm. So you can see where there was that conflict of interest. And he was thinking one thing. And so how dare she think another, possibly? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm only guessing on that one. So we've got blowing up some letterboxes. We've got people jumping in front of horses and... Speaking of horses, there was also a Trojan horse that was used to get into the House of Commons. Yeah. So the Trojan horse was a van and they got a lot of these suffragettes in the back of the van and they drove the van up to, to the Houses of Parliament and then they raided the Houses of Parliament. Georgina was in this raid and as it turns out, my great-grandfather was in the House of Commons because he was MP for Louth at the time. And I think he was embarrassed by the whole thing because there was his cousin who was barging in with all these other women and it was just too much. You can imagine the dinner party talk after that one, can't you? I can imagine, and, yeah. Um, so it was... Family Christmas around the table that year must have been a bit awkward. <laughs> exactly. Pulling crackers going, so what have you been up to recently? <laughs> oh, well, we did have that thing, didn't we, where we... We stormed the House of Commons and you were there. Oh, God. So, so yeah, so I... I Looking back on it in history, I think that's fascinating how that all, all ha happened. And then the other thing was Georgina and Maria, who were the two sisters and their old mother, they lived in something called Mouse Hill. And this was a house where all the suffragettes would meet. And uh, very often they'd have somebody like Maria or Georgina sitting in the window and they'd be, they would dress up as Mrs. Pankhurst and when the police came by, they would think it was Mrs. Pankhurst in the window and that would give her time to, to run away and then they'd arrest the wrong, the wrong woman. So. It just shows the sort of commitment of these women to try and look out for the important ones and get this over the line because, you know, they're willing to go to prison and they're willing to sacrifice themselves in order to, yeah, yeah. And the fact to protect that, the cause. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that Georgina gave up painting until women got the vote for, for a good number of years shows how the cause meant so much to her and how far she was prepared to go. Because being arrested, that's not a nice, comfortable night in a cell either, is it? When they got arrested, they'd also gone hunger strikes, they'd get force fed. They got brutally treated. There's a, there's a film whose name I can't remember, um in which they recount the suffragette story. And uh, wh when you watch it, you can't believe how the police treated them, how they were treated in the prisons and, and all this sort of thing. And, and then you, you do start to admire them for what they were, they were doing and what they eventually achieved. And you say that 
painting was a bit so important to Georgina and she gave it up. But then you're saying she did then eventually take it back up. Yeah. I'd love to know what the first thing was that she painted after all that. I imagine it's some very broad brush strokes, just going, getting all the, well, all I the think, frustration out. I, I think we can thank Georgina for my great grandparents meeting because... Georgina painted somebody called Florence Mills and her sister Adeline, and we've got the pictures in the house. And we think that my great-grandfather met Florence in her studio. So oh. if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here type thing. So she ended up going to prison herself, didn't she? She, she, she was in Holloway Prison in the women's prison and I wouldn't have thought had a very pleasant time there because they wouldn't have been treated with any form of respect. No. And you, you've got to admire her her for, for what she had to cope with in there because the yeah. prison warders would not, they would have been male prison warders and they would have not looked after those 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 suffragettes. Is this when the things like the force feeding and all that sort of stuff happens? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're, we're also, we were talking about hunger strikes yeah. and, and things like that. So they really were taking on the cause. And whenever I have a group round the house, she is somebody I always point out because I have a lot of respect for her. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for having us here, Robert. It's been absolutely fascinating. Even just being in the house where has seen so many formidable women, even the dogs, even the female dogs look like they, they're feisty around here. Oh, yeah, you don't mess with the dogs. No. Yeah. I want to ask you, as we wrap up, um, if you could go back to any period of the home Pierpoint Hall's history, when would it be? I think the period that we have discussed with the end of the... 18th century, because actually when you look at our civilization and you look at what was achieved at that time, we had people like Gainsborough, we had Robert Adam, we had all this architecture, we had the Georgians then who built all these amazing houses. It is a time that we are still making the most of and we're still able to enjoy their achievements and I would hope I would be healthy because if I wasn't, I'd be in trouble. Mm -hmm. I hope I didn't need to have my teeth sorted out because if I needed them sorted out, I'd be in trouble. 
There are a few other things because there's so much now today we take for granted, but yeah. I would have to be really healthy to, to go back to that time. Yeah, yeah. Don't go back for a for a, for a heart for, operation, for a, or, or, or or to get your um, tooth filled. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going back to the Georgian period for a root canal. <laughs> Probably a bad idea. No, no. And in Elizabethan times, it would have been even worse. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you were to meet any of the ancestors who have been through these halls, well, it, somebody we really haven't talked about much, but it's. One of the ancestors would be the first Duke of Kingston. He was the fifth Earl of Kingston and he was created the first Duke. So he had to have something about him to be created a Duke in the first place. Yeah, so talk us through this guy. He was called Evelyn Pierpont and he was a member of Parliament and he sat in the House of Lords. There was a club in London when he was still Earl of Kingston at the time. There was a club in London called the Kit Cat Club. Oh, I've just been to one in in Berlin. <laughs> is it similar to that? I, I bet it was a bit different to that one. Oh, is that all right? Okay. I've, been, I've been reading a bit about the Kit Kat Club. <laughs> right, okay. It was not that raucous uh, a, a dinner party. Right, circuit. okay. They, 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 but um, I think they were at pains to say that in the thing I was reading about right, it. Okay. But, and then there was a... And then Godfrey Neller, the artist, was commissioned to paint all the, the members of the Kit Kat Club. And actually, we, we keep talking about the National Portrait Gallery. If you go there, there's a series of paintings that they have of members of the Kit Kat Club. And they're all these, the Duke of whatever and the Earl of whatever and whatever. And um, so he was obviously well-connected. And the other thing that he was involved with, which is quite topical at the moment, he was involved with as a commissioner on the joining of England and Scotland as one nation, as Great Britain. And uh, he was one of the commissioners for that. And um, he also had his portrait, as I said, painted by Nella. And there was a series of prints that were made of the Kit Cut... Kit Kat Club It's a member. tongue twister. It is. Cat Kit Club's members. <laughs> and um, we have one of the portrait, uh, one of the um, the prints. So, you know, he obviously had something about him. And the fact that he was also Lady Mary Wortley Montague's father, I think yeah, nice. that's the icing on the cake. Very good. I mean, I, I, I want to see Elizabeth Chudley, personally. Uh, <laughs> Just yeah. for 20 minutes. <laughs> That'll do. I think she'd eat you for dinner. I'm pretty sure most of the women in your family would. You wouldn't survive. And finally, why should people visit Home Pierpoint Hall? Well, we're a house that has had a continuity since it was built. There's a lot of history to it. There are a lot of stories. And a lot of people have told me it feels very homely and very cosy and very welcoming and and we are at pains to make people feel welcome and I hope you all have today and we have a history that we like to share with everybody and as you've heard so far today that it's quite a history and quite a fun one really. It really is. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah well no it's a pleasure to have you and to see you and um Maybe we'll meet again one day. Maybe. Maybe. You're accepting wedding bookings. We are. I'll I'll try and find myself a girlfriend <laughs> and I'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah, evidently I might not be getting back to Robert for quite a while. 
Thank you for listening to this episode, and until next time, remember, always go topless to a king's ball, always test inoculations on your kids, and always, always mind your manners. Thanks for listening to Bad Manners. If you like the pod, please share it with your friends. Rate it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and make sure you spill the tea on any of your favourite Bad Manners that we could feature in future episodes. This podcast was produced by Atomized Studios for iHeartRadio. It was hosted by me, Tom Horton. It was produced by Willa Malensky, Rebecca Rappaport, and Chris Attaway. It was executive produced by Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore, and our production coordinator is Bella Salini. Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.